0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com.
2: This is Meant to be Eaten on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host for today, Melissa Fulster. This episode is part of a special series in collaboration with Gastronomica, the Journal for Food Studies. Our new issue, volume 21.2, features articles on topics that include commensality and creative collaboration, the politics of food systems, and race and representation. In this series, members from the Gastronomica editorial collective talk with authors about the work featured in the journal. Our guest this week, is Michael Bruckert, author of Chicken Politics, Agri-Food Capitalism, Anxious Bodies, and the New Meanings of Chicken Meat in India, where he explored meat industrialization in South India. Michael is a researcher at CIRAD, the French Research Organization for Agriculture and International Development. His work addresses agri-food systems and food consumption patterns. He received a PhD in human geography at the Sorbonne University in Paris and was a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Toronto Culinaria Research Center. Mikael, thank you for joining us and welcome to the show.
3: Thanks for having me.
2: Thank you. Um, So I wanted to start by asking you if you can uh, briefly share with our listeners about your, your work. Um, what do you do, for example, at CIRAD? What is your position? And how does it relate to your doctoral and postdoctoral work?
3: Yes, sure, with pleasure. So um, so I'm a researcher at CIRAD. I'm a geographer, as you mentioned it. And uh, I'm now based in Hanoi, in Vietnam, for the past uh, two years and a half. And I'm working... Um, like broadly speaking on food systems, urban food systems and sustainable food systems. So I'm interested in the way uh, food arrangements and market arrangements, uh, physical and social infrastructure uh, shape the relations within the food system and the way they can contribute to food systems that are more uh, equitable, more inclusive, more just, but also more uh, sustainable. and. Delivering food security and uh, food safety and so on. So, um, so at all, I'm a geographer. So what I'm doing here at Sierra is more like social and I would say economic geography. My mm-hmm. PhD was more in, so to say, cultural geography. In my PhD, I was more interested in food consumption patterns. And uh, in a way, in a cultural uh, dimension, because uh, as I've been working on India for my PhD, uh, I had to to focus a lot on issues around religion, Hinduism, castes, and uh, of course, and as I was working on meat, you know, meat is a very uh, polysemic uh, foodstuff, so... uh, uh, so yeah, I was very close from anthropology at that time. Now I'm—I can define myself, baby Bora, as a as a social geographer.
2: Interesting. Um, and so yeah, so you—I wanted us to then <clears throat> start talking more about your article that is very interesting. What you already started mentioning your your work in India. Um, so your article "Chicken Politics" traces the uh, commodification of poultry from. You take us from farm markets, butcher shops, to eateries, on kitchens, and consumer plates in Tamil Nadu. So can you tell us a little bit more about how this project came about? What, what took you to India uh, to follow chickens from farm to the table?
3: Yes, sure. So actually, I've been working in India before I started doing uh, some research, So, because at first I, I won't spend too much time explaining that but i first did a master in some other discipline like in, uh, in management and i was interested mm-hmm. in cooperation and so on international development and so i had the opportunity i mean i was always attracted by india i mean always since i was a, a teenager maybe And so I got the opportunity to work in India and then uh, after some time I resumed my study and I decided to do some research on food. And for me it was a good opportunity to go back to India to to, to study and to research about food in India. And the topic of meat didn't come uh, immediately on my mind. And it's when trying to figure out what could be an interesting research topic in geography in India and discussing also with some anthropologists who were working on meat in China, I suddenly realized that meat was a very uh, interesting issue and there was a lot of things to say about meat. And I quickly discovered, speaking with researchers, geographers, anthropologists, that this issue of meat has not been really tackled, especially uh, in South India. Uh, mm-hmm. Now in between, a lot of people starting publishing books on meat in India, but at that time, when I started like in 2011, uh in french there was almost nothing but even in english there were a few uh like some special issues from some journals and so on uh some single articles but not like a study that tried to address the issue of meat from production to consumption through distribution and uh which was particularly surprising because uh meat has this very contentious uh, position in india because at the same time, I mean, India is sometimes like in the West is depicted as a vegetarian country. So mm-hmm. some people, uh, some researchers even uh, to whom I was telling that they uh, wanted to work on meat in India, they told me, but there is no meat in India. Come on, people are vegetarian mm-hmm. there. Which is absolutely wrong, actually. And, but at the mm-hmm. same time also, uh, you have all these discourse about uh, food transition or diet transition, nutrition transition that pretends that with urbanization, economic growth, development, blah, 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 uh, people uh, would so get richer and mechanically they would indulge into like heavy meat consumption, which was also not what I noticed when I was living in India. So I I, I thought that there was maybe something interesting, a kind of dialectics between this so-called modernization or westernization of diets Mm-hmm. Um, and on the other side, the vegetarianism and the politicization of vegetarianism, especially by uh, by high castes and by uh, the Hindu nationalists. So it's really this dialectic uh, that I tried mm-hmm. to uh, to explore in my research, in my doctoral research. So the the, the the PhD in itself was about meat at large, which is maybe <laughs> a bit too large. But I focused uh, so on beef, on what we call mutton and on chicken. Mm-hmm. And I published about it uh, in French first because I, I wrote it in French, but then I really thought that chicken was embodying this uh, tension between uh, capitalism, agri-food capitalism, and the cultural embeddedness of uh, of food in India. And so I decided to to publish this article uh, in English, especially uh, on, on chicken. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: No, and definitely as you mentioned, it's true that, that we tend to think about India as vegetarian or or the, the research that we hear or, or read about, as you do mention in your in your piece, tends to focus more on beef, uh, around the religious aspect of, of the cow and how that relates to beef eating. So so yes yeah, really interesting that that special focus that you bring in terms of, of chicken. That I think chicken can be seen as a As a more quotidian or, I don't know, more familiar meat, Uh, but then you make the case about the complications of of chicken in in a place like India.
3: Yeah, definitely. Uh, as you told, there are, there have been some papers on the issue of beef, like the, the so-called hawdi which doesn't really exist, but anyway, it's a it's a powerful uh, narrative, and also mutton uh, is uh, like mutton, which is the the meat of uh, goat or of sheep, and mm-hmm. it's the so-called traditional meat in India. I mean, you have pastoralist people uh, raising sheep or raising goats, especially in the north in Rajasthan, and so this is quite a, a a common picture and uh, definitely uh, for a while, um, so what people call mutton was really the uh, the most prestigious meat. I mean, if you had to offer meat at some ceremonies, festivals, it had to be mutton. And chicken was really something only for Christians or tribal people and, uh, uh, and chicken really suffered from very bad reputation, like uh, being uh, dirty, uh, uh, having dirty eating habits. Uh, but suddenly, like, especially due to uh, to these uh, uh, capitalist investments and uh, the intensification and industrialization of the chicken sector, uh, chicken very quickly became the, the most eaten meat uh, in India. And also the cheapest one, which is interesting. So there is really some economic dimension that underpin this uh, surge in, uh, in, uh, in chicken consumption.
2: Yeah, but very interesting. And... Uh, can you tell us more, um, can you bring us back to, to your experience, the, the actual uh, following the chicken from the, from the farm to the table? How, how did you conduct the, the research? How long were you in the field? Uh, any, any experiences that, that you want to share with us that, that didn't make it to the article?
3: Yeah, sure. So um, the, the field fieldwork lasted a bit more than one year, and, uh, but in this fieldwork I had to to, to follow uh, also the other animals that I mentioned, like buffalo and cattle and mutton, and, uh, I mean sheep and, uh, and goat and so on. Uh, but chicken is, a, is an important part uh, in my research, in my doctoral research, so uh, especially also because it's, it was quite easy, I mean, through the context, local contacts I had in the population to visit chicken farms, uh, to meet uh, meet growers. And also he had good contacts uh, with butchers and wholesalers in Chennai, which is uh, the main city in in Tamil Nadu. So, um, uh, I mean, I didn't really like follow the animals like uh, from upstream to downstream, but I started uh, with the markets because uh, Mm -hmm. I was living in, uh, in Chennai, the urban center. And so I first went uh, to see the butchers, and thanks to the butchers, uh, I understood better uh, how they were connected uh, uh, upstream uh, with the wholesalers, and through the wholesalers, uh, I got some contacts in some farms, and I also had some friends who were uh, living in uh, rural areas, and we had some good contacts in uh, in the chicken farm sector, and also I got the chance to meet uh, the CEO of a uh, like middle-scale uh, chicken. Uh, uh, integrator in Tamil Nadu, it's not the biggest one, but uh, I mean, he could tell me the full uh, narrative uh, of uh, this chicken uh, sectors that is uh, booming up uh, presently. So, uh, um, I mean, it's, so I didn't really like follow in space, but it was a kind of multi sided ethnography um, mm-hmm. and with some jumps from urban to rural and back to urban and from consumer to. To distributor and then to, to farmers and back to consumers again so uh, trying to um, to link up all this and to to understand a bit the logics behind and especially I was very interested in in the connections in the dialectics between production and consumption so uh, mm-hmm. if you follow like to, in a too linear way uh, you maybe miss uh, the influence that consumption has on production and uh, conversely the, the the, the influence that production had on, on consumption. So I had to go like back and forth between the different uh, between the different sectors. Yeah.
2: And did you, you know, when when we do field work, sometimes you know there's issues with access or or people not wanting to talk about certain topics. Did you find yourself having easy access to to not only the the smaller producers, but as you got to the more industrial production? or were people
3: fairly open to to talking? It's a good and important question. Um, Interestingly, uh, it was really easier to have access to uh, people selling chicken meat and producing chicken than to uh, beef butchers or people slaughtering uh, cattle and slaughtering buffalo. So I had some troubles visiting the the slaughterhouse uh, in Chennai where people slaughter uh, sheep and... uh, and uh, goat and, and cattle. Uh, I had, I've been sometimes rejected from some beef butcher shops. But with chicken, I had very few issues because I mean, chicken has this image of being something modern. And you know, the CEO of this company I was interviewing was very proud to explain to me his investments and his plans for the future. And so chicken has this very good image. I mean, uh, uh, but it's as if chicken is not an animal. I mean, that's really what I try to illustrate in my article. I mean, okay. there is no uh, no big social issues around uh, rearing chicken uh, for meat consumption or even slaughtering chicken. I mean, uh, Hindu nationalists try to campaign uh, very sometimes violently and actively against uh, uh, beef consumption and against uh, cattle slaughter. But I mean, almost nothing is said against... Uh, against chicken, uh, chicken slaughtering or chicken consumption. And uh, uh, some animal welfare activists uh, do blame farmers for not uh, handling chicken properly, but uh, it's quite very rare. And it's not in the public debate uh, mm-hmm. uh, in India. But uh, one important point also is the fact that I tried to approach like the big companies, uh, the, 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 the only company I managed to meet it was through a, a friend. So they had easy access to them. But like the real big ones, they also keep this kind of secrecy and it's very mm-hmm. hard to approach them. And I didn't manage to, to get an interview with them. And I think this is something very, very common in food studies or in agri-food studies. Uh, we have a lot of knowledge about uh, the way uh, it works in the informal sector, in small scale agriculture, and small-scale processing. But when we try to approach like the big groups, big corporations. Then doors are often closed because of I don't know industrial secrecy or people get mm-hmm. feared that we might blame them for something and we are activists and so on. So yeah, easy to approach chicken, but not that easy to approach uh, corporations.
2: Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And definitely, as you mentioned, sometimes we do have to use our personal networks to to get into some of these spaces. And. And one question I'm wondering, as you were doing the interviews or talking with people about chicken, how was, how was their reaction? Did they seem, did they, anybody ask you, why do you want to talk to me about chicken versus the other meats that, that you were exploring in your research?
3: Yes, sure. So when I was uh, talking with uh, eaters or consumers, uh, I was asking questions about their meat consumption at large. So okay. um, any kind of meat they could eat, but uh, and interestingly, chicken was never really a contentious issue. I mean, when people were telling me they were vegetarians, okay, uh, done. Uh, so I was asking questions about vegetarianism, why they were vegetarians and so on, but so I didn't have to ask anything about meat consumption. Uh, but when people were not vegetarians, I knew that starting with chicken, I mean, where I or when I asked them to list the, the different kind of meats they were eating, they often started with chicken because, yeah, chicken, it's something common and it's widely accepted. And uh, and uh, so beef eaters, for instance, would not say at first, well, I'm a big beef eater. I mean, some people even try to conceal it. And I had like this mm. mo- interesting moments in research when uh, an old lady starting telling me, we eat beef. And then her husband or son, I don't remember, were like, no, don't tell that. Uh, you should not you should know, to know that. It's and then I had to say, but don't worry, in the place where I come from, in the West, uh, we don't mind. And I had to, to say that <laughs> beef is very valued in our country. So the, like in order to, to show that I was not judging them, but they even ex- mm-hmm. felt that maybe even the Western uh, interviewer could judge them on their beef consumption. But on chicken consumption, people never felt they could be judged. And uh, they really understood that, uh, I mean, they were always comfortable speaking with it. But I, I must add that uh, most of the time I was working with a research assistant who was mm-hmm. also uh, helping me in translation because I learned Tamil language but so I could do like some basic interviews uh, gathering like basic information in Tamil but uh, when I really wanted to get into the details to understand like the significations that people were undergoing meet with and really to understand uh, to have a refined understanding of the practices I had to go through an interpreter and he was very helpful in also like securing people making them comfortable uh, because yeah, still in India, it's not always easy to speak about uh, meat production and meat uh, meat consumption. And this, it was the same for the butchers. I mean, some were quite reluctant uh, to uh, to see me coming up and asking questions, and some were believing that I was working for big industry, uh, trying mm-hmm. to understand the market to enter into the market. And because you know, as my I have kind of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Clear complexion. Some believe that it was like coming from North India. It was a high caste man from North <laughs> India. Maybe he was trying to to get them into troubles and so on. So, on. yeah, like the I yet to to do my best to to make them uh, be comfortable speaking about it, and also my research assistant various very very helpful in that. Yeah.
2: yeah, no, thank you for for sharing that. I think those are interesting backdrop stories that unfortunately we don't always get to to share it in our papers right and but very very important issues about access and how people relate to, to our work in the field thank you um we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a moment to talk a little bit more and now switching more about to, to your findings um, from all of these interviews that you did we'll be back in just a moment
1: with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com.
2: And we're back. This is Meant to be Eaten with Melissa Fuster talking with Mikael Rubket about his article, Chicken Politics available in the current issue of Gastronomica, the Journal for Food Studies. Before the break, we spoke about your experience conducting the research in Tamil Nadu. Now let's talk about the the takeaways from this work. What do you hope readers, including fellow chicken consumers, learn from your piece? What are some lessons learned from your experience also that, that could be applied to other places?
3: Um, I would say that maybe what I tried to uh, to highlight in this article uh, is that there is nothing really natural with high meat consumption, especially with high chicken consumption, um, and the fact that this uh, all the signification uh, that are attached to uh, to chicken are partly shaped also by the industry and by the way. Uh, this chicken farming has evolved uh, recently in India but for decades uh, in the West So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and so I think what happens in India is a bit also what happened in the West a few decades ago uh, this intensification and industrialization of chicken uh, production uh, really tried to I mean it tended uh, to to deny or to conceal the animality in uh, in chicken meat uh, in india it 's the case, and I think in the west it's also a bit the case that people tend not to think about chicken as real animals, and when you may, maybe people eat chicken meat because it 's deprived of the, of animal attributes i mean it 's quite bland it 's whitish and uh, <laughs> uh, so not very fat and uh, and I mean, it's, so it became very ubiquitous meat and uh, kind of de-animalized uh, meat. And but this has been done uh, mostly through uh, agri-food capitalism. I mean, it was difficult to imagine uh, uh, before uh, uh, before uh, selective breeding, uh, before uh, confined animal feeding operation, to get uh, a meat with these specific characteristics. And it's really the to these investments, the research in meat production, in chicken production, and all these uh, industrial strategies that made meat this kind of generic foodstuff—I mean—that made sorry chicken this kind of uh, generic foodstuff that we, mm-hmm. that many people now have in the fridges, that we find in supermarkets, and and that's really disconnected people from uh, the animal they're eating.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also thought that it was interesting um, in the first half that you were sharing how uh, people didn't see any, they, they didn't feel uncomfortable talking about, about chicken. Um, and, and, you know, when you think about it, uh, like chicken production in places like the United States or, or in Western countries, that we do see a lot of uh, human, I mean, animal rights activism around how chicken is being produced but you, you you mentioned that you didn 't see that much of of that in in India, or do you see that that could be increasing how How do you see that uh, those concerns that we have in in the West about animal welfare playing out in regards to to chicken
3: Well, I, I think in the West it went so far this intensification and industrialization that there is this kind of backlash i mean it 's normal i mean uh, it's not only that people get suddenly shocked by the fact that we raise animals and that we kill them and eat their meat, it's also because the full system went so far in uh, uh, in trying to deny uh, these animals their uh, animality and their vitality and so on, that, uh, of course, uh, it became very shocking to see the way uh, chicken are raised, uh, especially for egg-laying. I mean, I think egg-laying is even more... Uh, questionable issue but also for uh, for flesh production and uh, so in India it's something that happens of course I don't say that nobody in India ever complained about the way uh, chicken are raised Um, but for most of the people I interviewed it was not really an issue this uh, welfare uh, in the farms uh, uh, especially because uh, chickens are not seen as any as animals as uh, as cattle can be seen uh, as animals, mm-hmm. uh, but it's starting. But uh, uh, it's starting mostly from international uh, uh, activist campaign or international animal welfare organization uh, such as PETA. PETA is doing. A, I mean, it's very present in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's. Uh, I would say it's a kind of Western way of criticizing uh, these regimes of uh, of production uh, and Pita is actually very strong in India within the upper class like the kind of bourgeoisie and also within people belonging to higher castes and higher castes were vegetarians and so this kind of modern vegetarianism that combines uh so maybe sort of maybe so to say yeah, western uh, animal welfare values with some hindu ethos uh, it's something that is um that is uh, yeah quite salient but uh, it's not a mainstream it's, it's not a massive uh, uh, protest so far hmm.
2: interesting yeah and i think that you know your your peace allows us to have these conversations as exactly what what you said like about uh how just what you told us—that that influence uh, that relates to the to class about how they view animal welfare, how that is different um, between classes, the influence of international organizations—very very interesting. And another thing that I that struck me from from your article is also um, what I I perceive as a as a tension in how consumers regard the, the safety of industrial chicken. If I understood it correctly, um, you mentioned that that some felt more comfortable eating chickens that were more industrially produced because they they had a better sense of what the chicken were eating versus others that were feeling wary about not knowing where, where the chicken comes from. So... Um, this struck me because it resonates with other experiences, like for example, I did some field work in El Salvador where I also saw this tension between the perceived safety of industrial food, but then also being wary about not knowing what, where your food is, is coming from. As you're seeing this tension, how how do you, I'm sorry, how do you see this moving forward or how do you see this tension in India?
3: so i would say that there are like different conventions of safety Um, i use the term convention on purpose like referring to this full uh, convention theory so one is uh, the industrial convention uh, whereby uh, food safety is guaranteed by some processes expert assessment certifications and so on and i mean Obviously, this speaks to a kind of uh, cosmopolitan um, upper class uh, section of the society more and more. And it's meant to increase, but to what extent it's difficult to say. And competing against this uh, industrial convention, there is what we can call the domestic convention, uh, where trust uh, is embedded in mutual relationship and in um, in the habit of going always to the same uh, producer, to the same uh, seller, and in knowing exactly what the persons are doing. And, um, and anyway, it's uh, an opposition between uh, uh, trusting uh, what you see. So you see the butcher killing the animal in front of you, and so you know the animal has just been killed uh, before you bought it, and uh, uh, you see that the place was quite clean and so on. Versus uh, trust uh, in what uh, you believe or in trust in what is said, uh, so through labels certifications and uh, expert assessment and but it 's not really contradictory I mean for some people uh, people navigate a bit between these uh, different kinds of uh, of conventions. Uh, but truly, yeah, the, the industrial convention speaks much more to uh, to a cosmopolitan and, uh, and rich section uh, of the society, and but so far the domestic convention is resisting, and that's also what I try to to argue in, in the paper. Um, the fact that still like more maybe than ninety uh, or ninety five percent of chicken is sold uh, so warm, uh, which means like. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't go through any cold chain and it's uh, slaughtered uh, usually in front uh, of the buyer, and for people it's, so it's a, a guarantee of safety because they know that the animal was alive just a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. But it's also a guarantee of uh, kind of animality in the meat. Uh, the the flesh is not cold. Uh, there is still a bit of blood in it, and uh, uh, they can see the feathers from the animal, and uh, they are sure that. Uh, that the, the blood has been properly drained out of uh, of the carcass, so it's really a way to temper this animality. I mean, people have a, a sense that they control uh, this animality. It's it's, it's a, they can assess the fact that it's it's the good distance, you know, between uh, two animal and not two, uh not too animal. So uh, and it's also, also something that we notice uh, here where I am now in Vietnam. Uh, a lot of people still prefer buying. Uh, Uh, meat uh, fresh or warm, uh, as we call it. So this is also a kind of everyday resistance against uh, what uh, uh, agri-food industrial capitalism is trying to do with uh, with meat production and meat supply. Yeah And,
2: and do you do you think that 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 resistance will persevere or or what is your sense about the the potential evolution of the of the industry?
3: Uh, The industry is trying hard to achieve its goals. So the first Mm -hmm. goal for them was really to consolidate and to integrate the the upstream activities like uh, providing animal feeds and then uh, uh, doing the uh, selective breeding and uh, raising the animals. But now, step by step, they are trying to also integrate the the downstream activities. Mm -hmm. Uh, So by uh, processing the chicken and selling it uh, packed and... Uh, chilled or frozen and so on and of course I mean um, in a way the, the, the power is in the, their hand I mean they they know also how to, to reach out to people and uh, how to communicate around their products and so of course they are strong enough to, to shift a bit I would say uh, the, the regimes of, of knowledge and of values that uh, that underpin the, the consumption uh, of chicken but to what extent can they really uh, like reshuffle all that. To what extent can they really convince consumers that it's safer, it's better to eat uh, chicken meat that is uh, salt packed and chilled. Um, Difficult to say, I mean, (laughs) um, difficult to make predictions, but uh, it's interesting and surprising uh, to see the resistance and uh, the way alternative systems of uh, chicken and meat production are being uh, uh, either developed or are surviving. uh, uh, in this context, yes.
2: Yeah, you know, it will be interesting to to continue following the chicken, right? To to see wh- who I don't want to say who wins, but if the industry <laughs> is is actually to able to gain ground, also, you know, if I think it's also important to contextualize this within. Uh, I feel that this increasingly global movement, or thinking about. Uh, animal product consumption in relation to nutrition or or planet health um, that I'm guessing would also influence a lot of these dynamics in in India right
3: yes sure uh, definitely the the full uh, global uh, meat complex is facing uh, planet boundaries and uh, criticism uh, regarding uh, Nutrition issues and so on. Uh, in India, so far, uh, meat consumption and protein consumption itself is very low, so it's quite difficult to argue that people had to reduce their meat mm-hmm. consumption for uh, environmental reasons or even for nutrition reasons. On the contrary, uh, uh, it is true that uh, eating more meat for a lot of Indian people, uh, Indian people, uh, could be a way. Uh, uh, to uh, improve their intake of macronutrients mm. and uh, micronutrients. Uh, but definitely uh, the, the environmental issue uh, is big and it's uh, coming up ahead and, uh, and uh, the price of feed anyway might go higher and that might uh, endanger the, the, the food industry. So even through, mm. uh, uh, through, through uh, economic impacts, uh, this full issue of uh, environmental sustainability uh, will uh, will impact or will have echoes uh, on the on the local Indian uh, meat uh, supply chain.
2: Yeah, definitely. And and thank you for contextualizing the the issue of malnutrition as well. That even though we we speak a lot about reducing meat consumption in some places. Uh, animal protein can bring benefits to, to the population so it, it makes it even more complicated all of these um, dynamics that, that we're seeing
3: yeah definitely I, I try to, to articulate that in a book chapter that I published a few years ago I called it uh, the Indian meat dilemma
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, trying to show that it's difficult to, to find a, a trade-off between uh, let's say environmental soundness uh, nutrition and social justice because uh, the ones who ask, to eat, to, who ask in India to eat more meat are usually the ones coming from deprived population, coming from lower caste that have been discriminated for long, and also the ones who suffer from uh, nutritional imbalances. So it is quite difficult to uh, prevent them from eating more meat due to some ecological, uh, uh, ecological reasons. So it's more at a global scale that we should think about this and yeah. of course reducing meat consumption in northern uh, countries, in Europe, in North America, wherever, uh, should be a first step uh, before uh, we tackle this issue of uh, over meat consumption uh, in India because uh, mm-hmm. uh, there are a lot of uh, socially, uh, social justice issues uh, behind that. Definitely.
2: Um, and I wanted to, to ask you now to, to move from, from the chickens to, to your current work now. Um, just to, to wrap up, if you can give us an update about what you're working on now and, and how have you been building on, on this very interesting topic?
3: I'm still trying to figure out how I can bridge the gap between this research on uh, cultural aspects on, of meat in India with the more economic and social aspects of uh, food systems at large here in Vietnam
0: mm-hmm.
3: uh, but I'm, what I'm trying to do is to to keep an interest uh, in these relationships between the materiality of food and the meanings uh, that uh, people uh, uh, endow uh, to foodstuffs so um, for instance here I'm working on uh, on wholesale markets and uh, street vendors Uh, so on a very social and economic perspective to try to understand how these infrastructures or uh, how uh, these facilities or uh, arrangements uh, can be a way to secure easy access to cheap food and to uh, diversified food and also can be a way to uh, secure uh, uh, an equitable access to jobs and to income especially for marginal uh, sellers and uh, marginal uh, uh, holders uh, but still i try to understand these infrastructures not only uh, like as uh, physical uh, structures or physical markets but also i try to understand the way this infrastructure tends to reshape the materiality of food and, and tend to reshape also the uh, the significances and the meanings that uh, are associated uh, with food so uh, uh, trying to bring some more uh, symbolic and, uh, and uh, discursive perspective uh, behind uh, those, uh, those uh, physical infrastructures. So uh, what I try to argue is that an infrastructure or a, um, a market uh, arrangement is not only about uh, physical flows of matter, of people, but it's also about uh, shaping specific understandings uh, that revolve around uh, our own foodstuffs.
2: Very interesting work, and I hope we we get to read about it soon. And seeing any any parallels or <clears throat> um, sorry uh, linkages that you might see uh, building from your work in India and now, looking into these issues in in Vietnam.
3: Yes, hopefully I'll manage to to come down to my table and to to write and publish some uh, some articles uh, about this new field work soon.
2: Good, good, and I'll be looking forward to to reading that. Thank you. Um, So I do want to thank you, Mikael, for joining us. And I want to invite readers to to read the full article and also see uh, the the images from your fieldwork in Gastronomica, the Journal for Food Studies, volume 21.2, currently available in our site, gastronomica.org. Thank you, Mikael, and uh, thank you for listening.